This is my podcast where I talk about stuff and things, cute, chaotic, and critical thinking. I'm a DJ and a creative consultant, regular human girl. <laughs> you can follow me on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter at Amber Akilla, and for playlists and mixes on SoundCloud and Spotify at Amber Akilla. I hope everyone is doing well. Today we have a guest, Miss Kiki. She is a Chinese-born artist and influencer based in Berlin, Germany. I met Kiki quite a few years ago, so it's been really amazing to see her blossom and shine and thrive. So today's episode, we're going to be talking about her experience growing up in Germany, her experience working in the creative industry, and also her boyfriend and her relationship. Stay tuned for all the tea. Make sure that you follow Kiki on social media as well. I'll leave her links in the description. And yeah, I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Kiki. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for coming on the podcast. So good to have an excuse to chat to you. It's been so long. <laughs> It's been really long. We probably haven't seen each other in like three years. Yeah, at least like two and a half, probably. Yeah, long time. Were you in Shanghai end of 2019? Yes, in December for uh, Intersect. That that was probably the last time we saw Over each other. Over two years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so how about you introduce yourself and then we can talk about how we met and go from there. So I'm Kiki. Um, I'm a Virgo. I work as an artist and I would say influencer uh, in Berlin and yeah it's it's fun I guess uh, sometimes a bit stressful but mm-hmm. I would say I'm pretty happy with my occupation. <laughs> I'm like Amber, I'm Chinese but I moved to Germany with my parents when I was like, I was born in Germany then I moved with my parents to Shanghai because my dad was working there and then we moved back when I was five so Uh, when I was here in Germany and went to kindergarten, like it was kind of weird because I spoke Chinese and the other kids spoke mm. German. And uh, mm-hmm. but the great thing is about like when when you're kids, you learn languages really fast. Um, mm. So yeah, and since then I've been living in Germany. How did we meet? We can start there. I remember two thousand six. Yeah. Or 2017, because I had moved to, to Shanghai. I remember it like that because that year I wanted to like bring one of my good friends to China, and mm. he he fucked up getting his <laughs> visa. <laughs> so I was like, "Girl, you just wasted 700 bucks on on plane tickets." But he was like, "Okay, fuck mm. it." And I was like, "Okay, but I still want to go." So I went by myself. Mm. And I was like, great, now I'm here. And, you know, the thing is, like, I love to do things alone also. But I was like, I'm going to mm-hmm. be here for, like, three weeks or something. And to be alone the entire time is kind of weird. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm not that close to my family in Shanghai. Because, mm-hmm. like, most parts of my closer family are in other cities. And then I posted on Instagram, hey, like, I'm in Shanghai. Does anyone want to hang out? And then you slid in <laughs> my DMs. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember we talked a lot like online before we mm-hmm. like, then met. And the first time mm-hmm. I saw you was you, we met uh, at a bar and at the bar. But during the day it was empty and you yeah. were like had like a business meeting there. Yeah, I was doing PR for a restaurant or something. Yes. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I have to have a meeting, but let's meet after and then go <laughs> fuck shit up. 
<laughs> yeah, and then we, we met in this like kind of bougie-ish restaurant. Mm. And then we spent like a lot of time together. <laughs> like yeah. I, I, I remember like that trip, we met pretty much like every day mm. and did a bunch of stuff and it was really fun, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was so long ago, oh my God. And I have the worst memory. So I love when people can like repaint a picture <laughs> of my life for me. <laughs> anyway. Um, okay, so what was it like for you growing up in Germany? Because I remember when we first met, you said that like it, you didn't really think that much of your experience growing up, but I feel like maybe over the past few years, like you've had more time to reflect over it and maybe your perspective has changed. Yes, I, uh, I think definitely <laughs> because I moved to Berlin like five years ago. And I think what really helped me when I moved to Berlin was also to understand certain types of like microaggressions and like um, mm -hmm. racism, which was racist, but I didn't realize it in the moment back then because mm -hmm. first of all, I was a kid and as a kid, you're like mm -hmm. super innocent. Um, and mm -hmm. also like I never had really had anyone to like share my experiences with because in our school back then with like 1200 people my sister and me were the only two chinese kids there were no other chinese kids and i think with like one vietnamese girl so it was like three asians on a school of 1200 people and um mm -hmm. we uh and and then i moved to berlin i felt like like berlin is not the rest of germany berlin is very international like a lot of people from all kinds of different places come here and then I was talking to people and then I realized, oh, like um, what people said to me back then was actually fucking racist. I just didn't realize, mm -hmm. oh, can I swear on the podcast? I just, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, and it was like, like literally things like, uh, for example, my, my mom, she works in a restaurant. And I remember in elementary school, there was this like one douchey dad of another kid. Like uh, we had like a summer festival thing where we're like barbecuing and stuff and he he um i'll say what, what are your parents doing i was like yeah my mom my dad is a, a computer scientist and my mom works in a restaurant he was like oh do you serve dog in your restaurant i was like what then i didn't get it as a kid you know i was just like no mm. we have like mm. pork and then beef and i was just like <laughs> like naming meats listing but, like, menu items chino fried rice <laughs> <laughs> and just stuff like that and then i didn't understand why he asked me do you guys serve dog meat in, in your place? Mm. And mm. it was uh, a lot of like things like this, which like now also after going to therapy, I realized, oh, okay, that was actually not okay. And yeah. it um, made me feel very alienated. And I realized also like later on when I was like um, 18, 19, I had a phase where I would like bleach my hair, like really, really blonde. I was wearing like blue contacts. And then I realized mm -hmm. later on, oh wait, I was trying kind of to look white uh in a certain way like but but not really like on a conscious level it was like more um mm. like i just thought it was pretty in that moment yeah uh and and i was like trying like these like tapes for my eyes because i have monoliths and i was trying mm. to imitate uh on the outside like being white and uh mm. i was like okay that was maybe it has something to do with how i grew up and what uh people were telling me is like pretty and beautiful and uh mm -hmm. I'm I'm really happy I'm over that now. <laughs> wow. Cause I feel like for me when I was younger I was hyper aware of racism and microaggressions. It was like 
it was almost like a curse that I was so aware at such a young age and I couldn't express or communicate it to people around me and I didn't have anyone to share the experience with. But I've met so many people who only started to come to terms with it like recently or Mm -hmm. at a later age, which is interesting because I didn't have anyone to talk about it with when I was younger anyway. So it was just like... Asian friends in general, like in, in school? No, not really. Like we had... There was definitely Asians at school, not that many. And I was friends with like a lot of white kids. And I don't think anyone else really saw what I could see mm-hmm. yet. And also for other Asians, they were just more like focused on study or they had their own Chinese or Asian community outside of school. So they, they were very like in and out of school, but I was kind of like integrated into all different social groups and stuff. Okay. So... I think because I was more like, quote unquote, assimilated to Australian culture because I was looked after by an elderly Australian couple when my mom was working when I was younger. So it was mm-hmm. easier for me to like communicate with white kids. Oh, that was really different. Like my parents, like I had uh, nannies because my parents were also working and mm-hmm. they thought it was really important that the nannies were all Chinese. Like I had like four or five yeah. different nannies through like the years yeah. and they were all Chinese um, mm-hmm. because, and, and we also had like rules at home. For example, my mom would um tell me like when i speak german at home she doesn't understand me because it was really important Mm -hmm. for her that i still practice the language every day Mm. um Mm. and my mom was very very strict about that (laughs) yeah like i wish i spent more time learning chinese when i was younger but i was like nobody around me speaks chinese why would i need to learn how to speak chinese and I don't we didn't live like in an area where there was like an Asian community around us so I think for the couple that were looking after me like they treated me like their grandchild they were amazing so I was lucky to have them and it helped me to assimilate into like a Australian school Australian context but yeah it's interesting to see how like everyone sort of comes to terms with their experience in different ways and at different times and I don't know. I think it's cool that we can all support each other. Yes. <laughs> and yeah, share insight and perspective because I think being able to connect over those sorts of experiences, even though they're like traumatic, at least you know you're not alone and there are ways for you to move through them as well. Yeah, I, I remember when we first met, like we talked a lot about uh, all these experiences and stuff. And I felt like this mm. is why we got along so well, like in the beginning uh right away because i felt like like okay even though we lived in very different places um i believe like germany and australia is like super far away not only in in terms of like you know like distance (laughs) (laughs) um but like we had a lot of similar experiences also i heard you speaking chinese and uh Mm. i think it's really cute i love the chinese (laughs) (laughs) one character at a time (laughs) So you didn't grow up in Berlin. No. How did you, when did you decide to move from where you grew up to Berlin? Or like, was that because of study or was it because of career? Um, so I was actually studying um, very close to where I used to live, like in West Germany. And mm-hmm. I went to uni for like three semesters. I was so freaking depressed. Uh, uni was like hell for me, but it was... Also, because I studied management and economics, and I just felt like it was really, really soulless, and mm. I didn't feel inspired, and um, this was the time when I started to, like, make a bunch of YouTube videos, because I was 
trying to find ways to avoid going to uni. <laughs> mm -hmm. And um, it was just really bad. And I was just really depressed. Yeah. And then at some point I realized, okay, this is not good. Like, I don't want to continue this anymore. And um, I've been to Berlin like a lot of times before that because of friends who moved there. And also like back then, I don't know if it's with all German schools outside of Berlin, but we had to do a bunch of like trips to Berlin to go to Reichstag, you know, see all of these like political buildings and um, mm -hmm. learn about the Second World War, all of these, all of these things. And we mm -hmm. did like a bunch of school trips. So I knew about the city in a touristy way already. Um, mm -hmm. But I felt like in, in Germany, I wouldn't want to live in any other place because I need a place which is like, as I said, a bit more international and where mm -hmm. I come from, it's really, really German. Um, mm -hmm. And then I was trying to find an apartment here, but I had no luck, but I was also not looking for that long uh, because it was, mm -hmm. it was kind of hard for these apartment viewings. I always had to come and then book a hotel or an Airbnb or something and then go to the apartment viewing and then go back again and it was just really stressful and then one day i got an email from a production company uh and they said they saw my youtube videos and they were casting me for um a vlogging show in german mm -hmm. for like mm -hmm. a german channel and basically my job would just be to film myself for 30 minutes every day like and live mm -hmm. in this house with a bunch of people I don't know, uh, but mm -hmm. all of them had different occupations. Like one of them uh, is an influencer uh, as well. And then there was one um, who's a photographer. Another one who later moved in was in a reality TV show. And mm -hmm. um, another one who's a dancer. And like, mm -hmm. it was like a vlogging show. Just, they, they I think they just try to like target young people. Um, mm -hmm. And then I was like, okay, that sounds interesting. Why not? Um, they mm -hmm. were covering the rent and everything. So I was living mm -hmm. here for free for the first six months I moved here, which was really, really nice. And that was a great start to not pay rent for six months. Um, mm -hmm. And then I was like doing this uh, vlogging thing. Um, and it was an overnight decision. Like they casted me and then I had to send like a casting video, just like introducing myself and everything. And... Mm -hmm then on i remember it was a tuesday where they said okay i got the goal from the producer they really like you um and i packed a suitcase and i moved to berlin on a thursday like two days after just with one suitcase and just stayed forever yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how long was six months you would filming yourself for 30 minutes every day because 30 minutes doesn't seem that much it doesn't seem so, that much like a bit, the, the show was cancelled at some point because it was like too much budget for the mm -hmm. outcome that they have that they had mm -hmm. and like they also realized that the way they were planning it was uh a bit too much because 30 minutes doesn't sound like a lot but you had to like mm -hmm. accumulate like different situations uh to, to make it interesting you know you have to film like different situations and like force yourself to like go out mm -hmm. and sometimes you you're depressed and you just want to stay at home and just want to chill in bed yeah. eat a bag of chips and watch like something uh, okay so you had to deliver like 30 minutes worth of content it's not like you just film 30 minutes and then they cut it down it's like you needed 30 minutes totally. um they they so were four or five people in the apartment so basically everyone got like 10 minutes screen time um mm. but we had to like 
um, film 30 minutes so they had enough material to edit something out of that mm-hmm. and um, what really bothered me after the time like was that wherever I was going and whatever I was doing I always had to like MC it the entire time like hi I'm going to this cafe you know and sometimes it was kind of awkward because you know of course I was hanging out with the guys in the apartment who were doing the same thing so we had a mutual understanding of like how it is to like you know like mm-hmm. telling people to like behind the camera basically uh, what we're gonna do but when I'm with mm-hmm. other friends and they are not really in the sphere of vlogging for them it was super weird that I would just like you know like saying like oh yeah we having this noodle soup right now you know like I had to yeah. say it to like imaginary people and it was um really mm-hmm. weird and then also like of course I had days where I didn't feel like doing anything but then I felt like because for the show I had to force myself to get up and do things mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and that was really not good for my mental health and I think mm-hmm. because of that I also stopped making YouTube videos for a very, very long time um, mm-hmm. after finishing the show because I felt like I had to film myself so much. I don't feel like talking mm-hmm. to a camera anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it was a really interesting yeah. experience. Um, and I got along very well with the people like in the show. Uh, one of mm-hmm. them, I moved in with him afterwards and now he's my manager. So we have been knowing mm-hmm. each other since this tv yeah tv vlogging internet show um and yeah it it was a really interesting experience but to be honest i wouldn't do it again yeah some things you only need to go through one time yes (laughs) (laughs) but then you stayed in berlin and you decided to transition into like full-time influencer work yes um it was really helpful to move here because I feel like most of the PR agencies and stuff um, are here in in Berlin. Also, I was signed to a modeling agency here. Mm -hmm. uh, And the modeling agency was also helping me to get like influencer jobs because I feel like it's starting to like morph together. Like a lot of Mm -hmm. models have to be influencers nowadays and vice versa. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of people are booked for their internet presence and not only for their looks uh which i think Mm -hmm. is also really great because it's also like part of this like body positivity movement if i would still live where my parents are um Mm -hmm. and yeah i got to know like a bunch of people and then people got to know me and like building up contacts and everything and then i started to do it full time and i was really surprised like how well it worked because um, when I started, I felt like the job in that sense was very, very new and, mm-hmm. um, no one really did like know like what the prices are. Like we all had to like figure out everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I'm really happy now that I have a management who's doing my emails because that was like my downfall. I, I was, I hate writing emails at, like, mm-hmm. uh, to clients because sometimes clients are really mean to be honest. Mm, yeah. You need like that buffer. Cause I remember when we were in Shanghai and you like opened your emails and you were like, <gasps> yes, <laughs> I'd like, like every I time I opened this. my emails was like a small panic attack. Like I was like, yeah, I think at the time you were like in the process of having your friend start to manage you as well. Mm-hmm. So you were like, thank God I don't have to deal with this as much. But I remember when you would like, you would just be like, I hate writing emails. I hate this. What do I say? <laughs> Why do I have to do this? <laughs> Yeah, like, yeah, it's it's not really not my thing, yeah. But yeah. It, it works very well with them that, like, they are writing the emails now. I also, like, trust them fully. I think this is really mm-hmm. nice, like, that I have 
management uh, we were friends before they started to manage me so mm -hmm. they not only have like money as their interest they also mm -hmm. have my well-being and my mental health and everything like mm. you know like that's priority mm -hmm. and i think that's really nice and that's uh, what a lot of managements don't have um mm. because a lot of managements are like okay you're bringing jobs and making money for us but yeah you're just treated like a product not yes. necessarily like a person as yes. well <laughs> Do you have like a process where a creative process and also like a process in terms of how you choose the work that you do? Because at this point, you probably get approached very often. So like, was there any strategy between when you first started, how you took jobs in comparison to now? Do you think? Um, and like, has I your approach I think, changed? I think I was always like quite selective. There are certain things that i would never do oh, like ads wow. for i feel like in the beginning when like influencing just started uh, most people were like promoting flat tummy chi and like mm -hmm. um what else was there like like i remember there was this like cheap like wig shop and mm -hmm. all of these things teeth whitening <laughs> oh yeah these like teeth whitening laser blue mm -hmm. light type of things like these are things that i would never promote because I don't know if that shit works. Probably not. Mm -hmm. It's just mm -hmm. like, but but it was just like really weird that like everyone was promoting that. Um, I was mm -hmm. always very selective, and I only do ads for things that I would buy myself or like, uh, wear myself or use myself. You know, think about if you would use that product yourself, uh, or yeah. if you would wear whatever you're promoting yourself. And um, I think that's the best way to go. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Because you get very rogue requests once you start. Oh yeah, I I also building an audience. always declined like Fashion Nova reached out so many times and I was like, mm -hmm. no, I don't think so. It's not like <laughs> I I don't fuck with this like BBL fish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. BBL <laughs> fashion, true. <laughs> because I feel like the way that you create content is a lot there's a lot more creative input from your end than like most influencers where it's just like pictures but you also incorporate art and illustration into it as well were you always interested in illustration growing up was it an intentional decision to integrate the two things or it just sort of happened organically and like do clients come to you for your illustration work? um so i think i was always drawing a lot because um i remember i was a very active child and the mm -hmm. only way my mom would calm me down was like she would just give me paper and mm -hmm. pencils and then I was mm -hmm. just like draw something so I was mm -hmm. always drawing and um, I remember as a kid like I had the dream that someday I'm gonna be full-time artist like just like mm -hmm. painting and drawing every day um, and this is really how I got into it I never really went to school for illustrations and stuff and I just mm -hmm. started to like try things out and then discover my own style in like illustration. And I think it happened pretty organically that I was intertwining these both things, mm -hmm. especially after I got like a tablet and I um, discovered, oh, you can like draw digitally, you know, and um, mm -hmm. digital drawing is really, really fun. Uh, a lot of people mm -hmm. hate it. I feel like there are a lot of purists who are like, okay, <laughs> traditional is the only way to go, but why not do both, mm -hmm. right? last year i had the first job where they really wanted me to like to do like a packaging design uh, which was also a very interesting experience because i've never done something like this before i don't know how to use mm -hmm. illustrator i don't know how to mm -hmm. use like these things where you like these programs where you just lay out things and because mm -hmm. when you do um packaging design everything has to be like 
millimeter exact because there are like writings on it and you know i i i learned all of these things then in the end through like youtube tutorials because mm-hmm. i never went so to they school didn't for that help you do it. i thought you would like draw it and then they would do it for, format it for you but you had to format everything i had to do like a rough format and they would like make these like changes where it have to be like very exact but i still mm-hmm. they they gave me like a like a sheet basically this is like how the packaging is gonna look like and then i had to like mm-hmm. use my um tablet to like draw kind of around everything and mm-hmm. it, it was uh but still i had to figure out how to put this into illustrator to make it a vector and then um mm-hmm. so they can also make changes in the end and i also mm-hmm. had to like you know it was always a back and forth they also told me like oh you need to like make this curve a bit like more to the right or something mm-hmm. and then i had to like it was a lot of back and forth like that uh, because I think usually you go to their office or something, but because of COVID, we had to communicate oh. through emails and everything. Yeah. So, wow. yeah. Yeah, I remember you posting that. Yeah, it was like a perfume. Amazing. Yeah. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it was just it was just very last minute. The thing was like, um, I had a completely different design in my head. Like I also submitted a design, then they changed mm-hmm. so many things about it that it doesn't like it didn't look like anything i had in mind before and then i was really Mm -hmm. unhappy with it and they told Mm -hmm. me i think you have to like start over again and then i had a Mm -hmm. deadline of 24 hours and then Mm -hmm. i had a little mental breakdown and then i sat down i did like an (laughs) all-nighter just like Mm -hmm. doing a completely new design and then they were very happy with it and i was very happy with it um Mm -hmm. but i realized being if i would be a full-time illustrator i probably have mental breakdowns every week it's a lot of mm-hmm. like last minute changes and also you have to keep in mind if you um because the things like i usually i draw a lot of girls uh mm-hmm. because i think women are the most beautiful thing in the world <laughs> mm-hmm. and um then they have like certain rules like you are not allowed to put put like people or like figures on on packaging like mm-hmm. there were certain rules about it and mm-hmm. um these are things they didn't tell me before so like all of the designs i submitted are not mm-hmm. usable because they had like <laughs> human like figures on yeah. it i was like oh why didn't yeah. you guys tell me that beforehand you know like a yeah. lot of these especially because things... your work already is has a lot of figures in it so they yes. should be like by yes. the way and I, w- I was like oh you you saw like what i'm doing and that was a bit weird like why couldn't they tell me that beforehand well yeah it was still a very interesting experience and I think I would definitely also like do that again, but also with mm. my own things. I think the most important part, like, of course, I do that for clients. But uh, what a lot of people don't realize, like, my job is not only to, like, do these things for clients. My job is it also to do these things just for myself um, mm-hmm. and, and just for for fun, I guess. And um, yeah. not with the thoughts behind it that I'm going to make money for it, but just for the sole mm. purpose of creating a lot of people always ask me like how do, do i become an artist and i was like if you mm. have money in mind in the back of your head if mm. if that is your intention don't become an artist because you will hate yeah. it in the end and yeah. that that's like the curse of a lot of things which are fun like started as a fun thing and then you make mm. it a job and suddenly mm. you are forced to like meet deadlines suddenly you're forced to like change things about your work that you actually love but then you have a client who has like this mm-hmm. commercial selling point in the back Mm -hmm. of their head and then make you change a bunch of things and then you suddenly you don't identify with whatever you have created anymore Mm -hmm. and then you hate you hate your own work and you know this is something that you 
should try to avoid and um mm. yeah <laughs> based on that yeah, like it's 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 fun to become an artist but like also be careful with what you wish for <laughs> yeah like you need to be genius level artist in order to be able to do whatever you want and not have to deal with feedback and make a shitload of money and that's like 0.00001% of people might actually be able to achieve that yeah being able to separate feedback from clients from like your own personal worth as well because like your perspective is so particular but other people see what you produce in different ways and I think that's something that I definitely had to learn just like working in the creative industry like okay it's not always about it going my way but just because I'm the creative doesn't mean I have the final say necessarily it's actually the people who have money yes Yes. I think the most important rule is just don't take it personally because usually it's not personal (laughs) yeah yeah exactly how did your parents take you deciding to do this full-time did they ever like encourage you in a certain career direction um they were were very worried I mean my parents were kind of like how do I say like they were modern for immigrant parents because I feel like if you have immigrant parents they came to this country and they had to work really really hard and they know how it's like to Mm -hmm. um you know be like have no money and like have to like work very hard and of Mm. course um especially when you're from china like education is everything so Mm. my parents like told me you can become whatever you want but like finish your uni they they were trying to like really push me towards like finish whatever education Mm. like you Mm. have started um and then I wanted to quit uni and I was like super scared to tell my parents like I'm not gonna finish this because mm-hmm. um first of all thankfully in Germany going to uni is basically for free uh mm-hmm. you had to pay like certain for like paperwork you had to pay like 300 euros a mm-hmm. semester so 600 a year that is literally mm-hmm. nothing if you compare it to like <laughs> what like student Uh, yeah (laughs) yeah that's crazy uh but um so for me because i know okay i didn't put like super like a lot of money into like going to university my parents didn't Mm -hmm. put a lot of money going to university it was a bit easier for me to like quit and be like okay Mm -hmm. fuck it um and then i told them and then they were very very worried about me um because they believe without proper education you can't reach your goals Mm-hmm. and uh and then I moved to Berlin and I think something that I'm personally very proud of like I live here for five years now mm-hmm. yeah it's 2022 I moved here in 2017 in February um mm-hmm. and since I moved here I've never asked my parents for a single penny like from the mm-hmm. get-go I was like sustaining myself on, in my own way and then my parents realized oh okay she never asked us for help she never asked us mm-hmm. to especially financial help um that means she's okay and that was an mm-hmm. indicator for my parents to realize oh, okay like she's she's fine we don't need to worry mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the thing is like my parents didn't really understand what i was doing in the beginning because obviously they have never heard of the job either <laughs> um yeah. But I remember the, f- the industry. Yeah, I, I remember the first time they really realized, okay, like there is something behind it was uh, I did like a modeling campaign for Monkey and it was like mm-hmm. a worldwide campaign. So my, my face was like in um all of the windows and stuff. And then mm-hmm. we went to Shanghai together and there was a monkey store 
and it was so crazy to see my face in this mm -hmm. window in Shanghai um, mm -hmm. because I felt like if it was just local here in Berlin it's you know like it's nice to see but mm -hmm. like it's local but it was in Shanghai where yeah. no one knows who the fuck I am <laughs> and um, we went there and my parents took like a bunch of pictures and it was kind of awkward because my dad like went into the store and the employees there they were they're trying to help us and he was like oh that's my daughter over there like and he was pointing yeah. at the pictures i was like oh my god this is so embarrassing so cute um and there i feel like they really realized like oh okay like she's going somewhere with this because that was something they could see with their eyes i feel like my my parents are very pragmatic people so mm -hmm. um they if they see something in physical form it's easier for them to understand than just like yeah imagining okay like she's making money from taking photos on, on her social media it's kind of weird <laughs> do your parents have social media like do they follow you or do you just have to send them updates of what you're doing my dad doesn't even really have internet on his smartphone which i think is like he doesn't use it but my mom she loves it my mom follows mm. me on instagram she follows me on tiktok she watched like all of the youtube videos i ever made mm -hmm. um and she just like sees everything and sometimes when i don't post for like a couple of days she will call me and ask like is everything okay i see there is mm. no like new picture on the content new, new content what's happening <laughs> and That's uh, so yeah she she would like see everything and sometimes like i have like I don't know, like maybe like bikini pictures on my Instagram. It's kind of weird to think about my mom is looking at them, but then it's also like, whatever. Like yeah. she saw me in a bikini before. <laughs> yeah, like my mom doesn't have Instagram, but sometimes I post on WeChat moments. And if, oh, it's, yeah. if I'm not wearing a jacket, she'll be like, "Ni llama?" Like, we are Italian. Do you have like any? long-term goals for yourself or like plans that you're working towards or things that you or do you feel like you're working in the area that you enjoy at the moment and you're going to keep where you're at um i think at. i want to keep where i am right now but i think i want to integrate more and more of art and like move towards at some point that uh not necessarily like 100 but at least 50 up to like 80 percent is like mostly art related and mm -hmm. I would want that for the future. And that's something I'm working for because um, not necessarily like for clients, but also, mm -hmm. um, you know, like doing prints, doing like um, my own, I don't know, merch in that sense. Uh, mm -hmm. That would be nice. But I, I don't want I don't want to print like T-shirts and stuff, I think. Mm -hmm. I, I would like to do stuff like um, I had a design for like uh, plates and like tea set mm -hmm. and i think that would be really mm -hmm. nice to like do products mm -hmm. like that in like small quantities that would be so cute <laughs> oh i also like i got a tattoo machine mm -hmm. like a while ago and i think i want to mm. like pursue like trying to tattoo and maybe i'm mm. maybe in five years i'm a full-time tattoo artist yeah yeah i remember you mentioning like when we first met that that's something that you always thought about like if yeah. you didn't do influencing or you always think about like different backups that you could do pursue. yeah Definitely. And tattooing is one of them. Has anyone ever asked you for a tattoo design before? Uh, yeah, hundred uh, percent. But I think mm. for for me, it's kind of like if if I design a tattoo, I would also like like to do it myself. So mm. that's definitely something I want to try out uh, mm. in the future. But also, like my career and my plans for my future have changed like 
300 times already just you know i wanted to because i wanted to become a pilot i um went to the here in germany like lufthansa uh, assessment center thing where you had to like fill out a bunch of stuff and then i didn't get in because i felt like they didn't take a lot of women to be mm -hmm. honest to be a pilot yeah to be to be a commercial like pilot <laughs> mm -hmm. so um i think that's something you know like i i wanted to become a pilot then i wanted to study chemistry engineering i didn't do that then i went into management economics i quit that then i mm -hmm. came to berlin and do that and i feel like why not uh pursue something completely different in 10 years mm -hmm. and um yeah the like i feel like everything is possible and, and I think I, I like the idea of like not having only one career in your life. Um, yeah. And I think it's like I, I spend quite a bit of time on TikTok and I sometimes see like people who um, are now retired, they started to like pursue art or they started to like craft things. And I was like, mm -hmm. oh, that's really cool. You know, like even when you're like in your 60s, you can still go and like try out new things. And yeah. um and that's really fun and i think this is like how i want to live my life like not necessarily like being set on one thing mm -hmm. why not try out like different different things if i have the possibility yeah. to do that anything can happen and life is very long yes so <laughs> keeping an open mind to different opportunities and like versions of yourself and expressions of yourself is what makes life interesting i think and if you have the privilege to do that then I think people should go for it. I know a lot of people who feel so stuck in what they're doing, yet they actually have so many resources available to them to explore different avenues. And I think it's sad that we can be made to feel like our options are so limited, even when, especially for people who live in a state of like actual privilege and abundance. So yeah, I, I know it's cool. scary in the beginning. Like I was really scared when I quit uni because I was like, damn, like, because, because I was told my entire life without education, going nowhere mm -hmm. and then I realized mm -hmm. education can come in different forms you know it doesn't mean you have to go to uni um you can also educate yourself by mm -hmm. like reading books by like I learned mm -hmm. so many things through like YouTube tutorials I swear like whenever mm -hmm. I try to figure out how to do something and I don't know how I watch YouTube tutorials about it and mm -hmm. I believe that as long as you have really have interest in something you have mm -hmm. the motivation to learn so many things about it and uh not necessarily from university um mm. but, but you can also learn it yourself or mm. um go to like courses and and uh and there are so many like other unconventional ways to learn things and for yeah, like university now as well. yeah yeah and, and and nowadays like also a bunch of online classes like yesterday i uh met with a friend like she just filmed um a domestica class a domestica is like a spanish company and they do like um courses that you can buy and like she is an illustrator and like she was doing a five lesson course about like um how how you compose compose illustrations and stuff mm -hmm. and um taught like people about like digital drawing and i think that's really cool that you can get these like online courses and they're really cheap i think it's like five or ten euros or something and then you can buy it mm -hmm and mm -hmm. learn about it and um i looked on their website like this is not an ad for domestica it's just because <laughs> she was here in berlin uh, i saw there were like um courses about how to make furniture and i was like really interested in that because i just moved houses and i was looking for furniture and i was like wait maybe i can make my own furniture and then i started to watch this mm -hmm. course and i think it's really mm -hmm. cool that you can teach yourself 
uh, things like that with like online courses. <laughs> I, I think I watched like a TED talk and they said like a very, very interesting uh, theory or like an interesting metaphor about how the education system works. So mm-hmm. it was like he described it as um, imagine you're a frog, right? And mm-hmm. you're really, really good at jumping. And mm-hmm. um, and then the court, the 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 school system works like this. You're very good at jumping, but then there are other other things that you have to do, like flying, swimming, um, mm-hmm. I don't know, like running. And mm-hmm. the frog, he's who's really good at jumping, but r- sucks at flying, now mm-hmm. has to force himself to like learn how to fly. Mm-hmm. Be- and this is how the school system like you're really good at maths, but you suck mm-hmm. in I don't know English. And then mm-hmm. instead of like, you know, improving your skills in math, you have to like mm-hmm. concentrate on mm-hmm. learning English, and and that's mm-hmm. doesn't that doesn't make any sense. Like you mm-hmm. have to like you you are forced to spend more time on things which are maybe not don't, which maybe not naturally come to you, and mm-hmm. um, this is how the school system works. And I realized okay, maybe we should try to aim for a school system where you find out what the natural interest of someone is mm-hmm. and then try to like move mm-hmm. towards that direction yeah like being able to nurture what people naturally are good at and then also giving them the opportunity to like expand beyond that because i think for me with law school like even though i didn't naturally think in the linear way that you're required to for law school i think that it was necessary for me to have that training in order to then be able to combine like creative thinking with logical linear thinking as well so I think like on the one hand but that really did kill my creativity being at law school like I was extremely depressed for a very long time (laughs) while doing that because I didn't have anything around me that was able to really nurture the creative side of me other than DJing but that was its own (laughs) shit show as well so I think like finding the balance between being able to challenge yourself and extend beyond just what comes easily but then also feeling confident in what comes easy too because something that I always struggle with is like if it comes too easy to me I feel like I haven't earned it because it's like oh it's easy for me to paint or it's easy for me to DJ easy for me to do these things so then I'm like did I even do it because I didn't struggle because I'm so used to feeling like everything has to be hard so something that I can work through with my therapist (laughs) There's so many different ways that you can educate yourself now in a way that wasn't available to me when I was younger. I just felt like it was uni or nothing if you wanted to. I mean, I was from a very small town, city, so it just seemed like there was hardly any options unless I left. So, yeah. So let's talk about dating. (laughs) I know that you're in a very healthy committed relationship so i would love to hear i think everyone would love to hear your journey from pre to now (laughs) okay so to talk about my previous dating experience it was really terrible like uh i had a lot of very toxic experiences and i realized the problem was not only the people i chose to date it was only me because i felt like um a lot of the toxic relationships I had now in retrospective when I think about it it was because something was missing in my life and I tried to fill this gap of whatever was missing with Mm -hmm. another person Mm -hmm. and now being in a very healthy relationship I realized okay like like my my boyfriend he doesn't 
fill a gap. It's we are two mm-hmm. like complete beings in that sense, and mm-hmm. um, instead of like trying to like you know fill a gap, we we coexist together and like mm-hmm. give each other more than we already mm-hmm. have. And mm-hmm. um, that was like a big revelation I had, uh, because mm-hmm. like the most toxic relationship I had actually when I was uh, in two thousand seventeen. It was shortly before I came to Shanghai and when we met, that was like really really bad. And um, I realized it was because I just moved to Berlin. Um, I didn't have a lot of friends there. I felt very lonely, and this is like why I even got into this relationship. Even though though I, like I knew it was bad for me, I realized that with like a lot of uh, people who, like for example, moved to a new city. And try to like you know find connection, and then they find connection in someone who doesn't deserve their attention at all. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and then and then after that, I was like single for a long time. I used to like date here and there, but it never felt right. Dating was so hard because a lot of people they were trying to like be too cool about it. They're like mm-hmm. too casual, you know. And the thing mm-hmm. is, like I I don't expect. When I meet someone, okay, this is gonna be a relationship immediately. But I still f- enjoy the feeling to be taken seriously, and mm-hmm. um, this is like what a lot of people did not do. They, mm-hmm. you know, they were like not texting back because they think it's cooler to not text mm-hmm. back and to like like hard to get. You know, they were playing hard to get, and I was like, and the the thing for me is a lot of people when when they realize okay, this is happening. They're trying even harder. For me, it was like I'm losing interest because mm. I don't have time for this shit. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, like for me, if I'm dating someone, I think because I'm so selective with who I date, and it doesn't mean that every relationship I've had has been healthy, but it's all most of them start out with like there being effort and the bar being set quite high. So I will not tolerate someone who's trying to play hard to get or trying to play games. Like usually, people come correct at first. And then there'll be like a slow decline. <laughs> and then <laughs> then I'll be like, what am I doing wrong? Or I used to be like, What's, what, have, what have I done? How can I fix this? And then I just get to the point where I'm like, I don't need this. Yeah. Get out. <laughs> get out. <laughs> but I feel like it's the opposite. Or people think that it's the opposite. Like it's going to start with poor communication and somehow the communication gets better. I don't believe. If anything, it starts off well and then it declines. Or you're able to maintain it. You know, So it's like whoever can maintain the vibes is... The most important i also i also had it the other way around where like especially with the very toxic one in like 2017 i don't want to mention his name he's like he's like my lord voldemort you know like i mm-hmm. his mentions his name is not to be mentioned um mm-hmm. uh for, for him it was like he was really really nice in the beginning and was so like attentive and everything and then it really did decline from there but like like a, you know like it really yeah. went down and not yeah. even in in the sense of like that um he would like ignore me he would like really mm. bring me down like by telling me oh you look really shit today i was like okay great thank you for for this <laughs> awesome compliment <laughs> but but this is i feel like how because recently like um i met a girl who is in a similar situation where i was mm. back then and it's always like this really typical behavior of like treating you like trash and then in between giving you this one little treat of these like mm. wonderful five minutes where he is mm-hmm. really nice to you and um, buys you presents and whatever mm. and then he's really trash again and because you have these like nice moments in between you're always like okay 
it's gonna get better it's gonna get better yeah Yeah. and and you're waiting for the next nice moment and this is not really Mm -hmm. like a nice way to sustain a relationship and Mm -hmm. i i just feel very bad because i always believe like when someone treats you like this you definitely deserve better and um but the problem is you can't force someone to like get out of that because i feel like if you force someone to get out of this toxic relationship that person's not going to learn from it and um mm. it's going to repeat the same mistakes with the next person yeah. she or he is yeah. dating and uh yeah. i think it was really important for me to like go through this very toxic phase but then realize myself okay this is not good for me and mm. i don't want that for my life i don't want that for myself and then get out of it myself and i think that's really important mm. that you have to learn this lesson by yourself and no one can help yeah, you out yeah. of that definitely like it's the hard bitter pill hard pill to swallow in life is like you only really know what's good if you also know what's bad but at least you need to recognize what's bad when it's bad so you can be like okay i don't need to suffer i could just suffer for like a month instead of suffering for like 10 years you know but it, everyone's journey is going to be different do you feel like you were consciously changing the way that you saw yourself and dating bef- like in between that relationship and the current one or it just sort of naturally happened? I think it kind of naturally happened. I didn't start therapy before I was in my relationship right now. Like mm-hmm. I started therapy like a year ago and we started dating one and a half years ago. The thing is the guy I used to live with together, he has been in therapy for years. And Mm -hmm. I realized, like, because he went to therapy for so many years that he became kind of my therapist for, for like, a Mm -hmm. (laughs) brief period. I don't know if it was, like, really consciously, but, like, he would always, like, give me these, like, speeches and, like, Mm -hmm. you know, really ask me how... Yeah, pep talks and really ask me how I am. And um, this is, like, when I learned a lot from him in terms of, like, emotional intelligence because I... I'm the type of person because I saw that like how my parents did it was always like bottling up a lot of emotions and try to not show mm-hmm. them from the outside. I remember like mm-hmm. back then I used to like cry only maybe three times or two times a year. Now I cry mm-hmm. three or two times a week at least, mm-hmm. sometimes a day. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, but then it feels really good, you know, because I let it out. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. I had a phase where I was never letting my emotions out because I felt like okay, it made me weak. And uh, mm-hmm. it, um, I, I don't need it. You know, I can go through life mm-hmm. without showing these emotions. And mm-hmm. like by bottling all of this up was just really bad for me. And like because of I was living with him and he's a very emotionally intelligent person. He taught me a lot about that. Um, and then, oh, the doorbell is ringing. My boyfriend's going to open it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And then this is like how I also realized, okay, maybe I also need professional therapy i think that was really important to have this like period where i was living with him together where i learned a lot of these things and going from that into the relationship i am right now and um i think what's really great about the relationship i have right now like i was not actively dating at that point we met on a black lives matter protest and then um, he just moved here like not super long ago and then he moved into his new apartment and then I'm really into plants like I'm, I'm a crazy plant lady and um we're talking just like chatting on Instagram and then he's like yeah I need like plants for my apartment I was like oh I can help you with that <laughs> and uh, then we just went plant shopping together and it was not really a date it was just like 
mm. meeting up and just hanging out. Yeah. I think I realized that it felt really good. Like the moment we met, it felt really natural. Like nothing was forced. Like from the first second on, I felt like okay, I can be hundred percent myself because sometimes you you meet strangers and then um, even though you don't do it on purpose, you're not. You know, maybe you you don't show certain sides of yourself, and um, mm. this was something I didn't have with him, and I thought, okay, mm. this is interesting. It feels really like we have been knowing each other for a very long time, and then from there on, we started like dating, dating, and uh, yeah, and we've been together yeah, for one and a half years now. Yes, now <laughs> we live together. We moved in together like two months ago. Two months ago. Um, thank you. <laughs> and the thing was like. Um, I think what what was really interesting is that we met during COVID, so mm. a lot of the things that you do when you like start a relationship, like going to bars, going to I, f- I feel like a lot of people like date by going to like bars, restaurants, etc. We couldn't couldn't really do that. We were like mm. at each other's oh sorry, we were like at each other's homes from the get go, mm. and then mm. also like we were like spending so much time together, like for a month we would see each other every day. And then I realized, okay, like, because back then when I was dating, when I see a person, like, too often, sometimes I feel like, oh, I just want to be by myself for a long time. And I never had that feeling with him. And then I realized, okay, this feels right. I think this is, like, going somewhere. And this is, like, also the first person I can actually imagine a future with, which is really nice. (laughs) I love that. It's cool to hear, like, the journey that you went on. Because I think sometimes people think, like, they get so used to toxic dynamics and situations that they just think it has to be like that forever. But obviously there was some sort of shift within you, whether you were like conscious of it or not, where you realize that like you didn't deserve that to be treated like that. And yeah, a decision that you need to make in order to see other opportunities to see people who aren't going to do that. Cause sometimes you're so like, whether you realize it or not, you're actually seeking the same thing just because it's what seems familiar. So I think, yeah, for you to be able to decide that you didn't want to deal with another fuckboy again <laughs> and make decisions in alignment with that is, yeah, something that I think everyone who has experienced or is experiencing toxic relationships can learn from or, like, at least feel hope from, you know. It is actually within our control to a degree to decide what to leave behind and how we can move forward. Definitely. Well, it was great having you on the podcast, Kiki. It was really fun. Thank you for having me. And I hope we can see each other sooner rather than later. Yes, hope so. But all the best in the meantime. (laughs) Hee hee. Bye. Bye bye.